In all areas, the UK continues to backtrack. The European Union argues that, that we, be, we should be subject to rules of the club that we have left. The precondition is the level playing field. Uh, we can deliver a real Brexit that achieves our objectives. But if there is not a deal, we still need the Irish Protocol or the Northern Irish Protocol fully implemented. I'm going to miss being the pantomime villain. Hello and welcome to Brexit Republic, RTE's weekly podcast on Brexit. I'm Tony Connolly, RTE's Europe editor in Brussels. And I'm Colm O'Mongoyne, RTE's deputy foreign editor, normally in Dublin, but currently for pandemic reasons at home in Kildare. Each week, Brexit Republic brings you all the latest developments from London, Brussels and Dublin. This week, the EU drops the legal bomb, formally issuing proceedings against the UK for introducing the Internal Market Bill. We look at how the decision was reached, what difference it might make to the UK's insistence on keeping the bill intact and what impact it will have on the trade negotiations. And ahead of a key phone call between Ursula von der Leyen and Boris Johnson on Saturday, we'll take the temperature of those negotiations and we'll assess the prospects for any breakthrough that might lead to a tunnel or a submarine. And we'll check in on the Northern Ireland Protocol and the highly contentious issue of how to define what goods are at risk of crossing the border into the south. Our colleague Sean, the London correspondent, Sean Whelan, is not able to be with us again today. So, Tony, let's get straight in. As Roger Daltrey would say, it's a, it's a legal matter, baby. That's right, it is a legal matter. The European Commission has formally triggered legal proceedings against the UK for introducing the Internal Market Bill. Remember, this was always a threat from the EU. The threat came with a deadline uh, that Maros Shevchevich, who is the EU's guy on the Joint Committee, which brings both sides together, he uh, announced the deadline of Wednesday, which uh, was the 30th of September, for the UK to withdraw the offensive elements of the Internal Market Bill. Remember, these are the elements that basically give UK ministers the, the power to effectively ditch elements of the Northern Ireland Protocol when it came to state aid and exit summary declarations uh, and other issues. And the European Commission said uh, that's a breach of uh, EU law and the treaty. So if you don't remove those clauses by the 30th of September, we will do such things. Uh, and we didn't know what those things were, but there was a clear threat of legal action. And then on Wednesday night, in fact, I got wind of the fact that there was a draft letter of formal notice that was ready to go. It had gone through various drafts, but it was the letter that triggers legal action and it was ready to go. The only question was when the European Commission would launch this formal letter of notice, which basically starts the ball rolling. And the timing uh, on that, Tony, is, is quite tricky, isn't it? Because there's a few things going on. Mara Shevkovic and Michael Gove, the European and UK members of the Joint Committee respectively, had been meeting. The trade talks were at a tricky stage between the groups headed up by Michel Barnier and David Frost. And we were having a discussion on this podcast previously that the timing, as you mentioned there, would be key because nobody wanted to be blamed for upsetting the apple cart or the apple tart, to quote our erstwhile Taoiseach Bertie O'Hearn. That's right. The timing was important. There was a feeling that they wouldn't announce legal proceedings 
when EU leaders were arriving in Brussels for for a summit, nor would they do it at a a highly sensitive time in the trade negotiations, uh, which which is this week. I mean, this was the ninth round of formal negotiations, the last scheduled round of negotiations before the European summit in the middle of October, although in reality, the talks are going on all the time, just in, in different formats, whether that's uh, called a restricted session or an informal session. But the, uh, lo and behold, I got wind of this letter being ready to go on Wednesday night. And on Thursday morning, the European Commission president flagged that she was going to make a statement at 11 o'clock Brussels time on Brexit and sure enough she stepped up to the podium and said the EU had asked the UK to withdraw the offending clauses, that's clauses 42 to 45 in the Internal Market Bill by Wednesday. That deadline had come and gone and they hadn't done so so they were they were initiating legal proceedings so it's basically a, right. a letter of formal notice which kicks the process off giving the UK a month to respond. And then you get into the normal back and forth that any infringement proceedings normally undergoes at EU level. But there is a logic... In other words, this will take a long time, but at at least the the Commission had said, okay, we're now taking you to... uh, We're we're taking legal action. But in the climate we're in now, there is a logic to this. This is... the, The EU... Uh, has said throughout that it is insisting on state aid rules and uh, the level playing field and everything else because the EU is a rules-based club. If it were to bend the rules, having issued a warning to withdraw these offending clauses in the Eternal Markets Bill, it would show itself being open to bending the rules and this is not the time, arguably, to be doing that if you're insisting on adherence to the rules. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, having said that they would take legal action and having set a deadline, I think it would have been impossible for the Commission just to, to not bother doing anything. And this is coming as well against the backdrop of ongoing and quite difficult negotiations at EU and European Parliament level over the whole question of the rule of law. During the week, the, the Commission published reports on all member states and and their adherence to the rule of law. You know, we've had an ongoing battle between the Commission and Hungary and Poland over the independence of the judiciary, the fundamental values of of the rule of law and media pluralism and so on in those countries. So I think that's another reason why the Commission felt it had to take action when it did. And it also, you know, the difficulty for the UK here is that, yes, of course, they can say, well, this will take forever to go through the normal legal machinery and we'll be out by then. But this does highlight internationally that the UK has allegedly broken international law just months well, by, after by the so admission it's broken international law. Yeah. So, so, you know, it's in, in the one on one hand, you could say the EU is simply going through the motions. But on the other hand, this, you know, this is a damaging move for the UK. And, you know, it, it once again opens up a lot of commentary about what exactly the UK has done with the Internal Market Bill and what it threatens by the Internal Market Bill. And I think it's important this week in the European Council that leaders have gathered for an unscheduled summit and Michal Martin, the Taoiseach, was going to be given the floor to tell fellow leaders about his thoughts on the Internal Market Bill and on Brexit in general because... Brexit floor show. A Brexit floor show because Ireland is, uh, you know, the the country most affected by this. But I think it was a, an interesting signal because we all know that Ireland has has been centre stage in Brexit for the past four years. But I think in the week that was in it and in the context of the Internal Market Bill, the President of the European Council, Charles Michel, felt it was probably not a bad idea to let Michal Martin, the Taoiseach, 
articulate from Ireland's perspective what this internal market bill could do to the protocol and to the wider fragile agreement around the border and Brexit, but also to articulate his views on, on the prospects for an agreement. This was, a, again, this was a, a privilege offered to Michal Martin that, that wasn't uh, offered to other leaders, and they weren't expected to get into a big discussion on Brexit at this particular summit this week. And that, of course, is going to happen at the next summit, which is going to be the 15th and 16th of October. Yeah, and it is, I mean, as you say, it is pretty significant because there is quite an urgent issue on the agenda at this particular summit, this kind of geostrategic strategic issues in the eastern Mediterranean with Turkey drilling for hydrocarbons off the coast of Cyprus and a pretty big issue to get through there. There was China, trade relations, human rights concerns on the agenda. So lots of big stuff for Ireland's concerns about Brexit to be to be given the floor is no small thing. That's right. And again, you know, in the context of what's been happening with, with the legal action and the, and the bill, I mean, I think there, I think there was there, there was some disquiet at the timing of this. I mean, I spoke to one official from, from one fairly large member state who said that member states were not alerted that this legal action was coming on Thursday. Uh, they weren't consulted. Uh, they were wondering if Michelle Barnier was in the loop on this because it seems to have been fairly tightly controlled between Maros Shevchevich's cabinet and and Ursula von der Leyen's team. This was kept under very tight wraps right until 10 o'clock on Thursday morning. It had to be approved by the, the, the whole commission, by the College of Commissioners. So I think the Irish government were possibly unaware of it as well until until maybe late on, on Wednesday night. Right. Um, but at the same time, from what I gather, it didn't really make any difference to the trade negotiations that were happening this week. You know, in the room, the legal action didn't really have any bearing. And again, it's it's important to say that the timing here is significant. It, the UK has a month to respond. By that point, a free trade deal will have either been done or, or not been done. And it's not like they're going to rush this legal action through in order to leverage some, some kind of outcome uh, on the trade negotiations. I think this is just the Commission saying, look, we're a rules-based organisation. We follow the rule of law. We think you've breached a treaty that you've just signed with us. The treaty was based on Article 50, which is part of the EU treaty. So therefore, this is a breach of EU law. And because the UK is still subject to EU law until the end of the transition, then they felt they had to, they had no alternative but to go ahead and, and press the button. But of course, the issues that the Internal Market Bill deals with, such as the effect of st- EU state aid rules reaching across from the, from the Northern Ireland Protocol to the rest of the UK, the whole question of exit summary declarations, the question of where tariffs should fall on goods going from Great Britain to Northern Ireland. I can hear you can scarcely contain your excitement here. (laughs) (laughs) He said warming to his theme. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, uh, All of these issues could be resolved by a free trade agreement or made a lot less contentious. So you can see how on the one hand, yes, we're triggering legal action, but on the other hand, if people keep their heads down and the negotiations continue on that track, right. then a lot of this could become less contentious and wither on the vine over time. Right. But still, you know, the, the UK will still have to get those clauses out of the bill if they want this deal to be agreed and ratified uh, at the end of the day. 
Right, well, I suppose, look, with the, the, the state aid, the level playing field, the fisheries, the whole shooting gallery, I mean, if people really want to get into the weeds on that, there's about three, maybe four previous episodes of Brexit Republic you can dig right into that we've gone into detail. Suffice to say, there has not been any significant movement on that. So let's look ahead. The other theme that has been running through, I think, the last three podcasts is if there is to be progress, the mandate of the negotiators might have to be changed. A political deal will have to be done. You were talking about the potential Taoiseach factor, the one-to-one chemistry of a meeting between two individuals. And we have something, potentially, along those lines in terms of personal contact between Ursula von der Leyen and Boris Johnson coming up over the weekend. Is this a Taoiseach in the world moment, or what is it? No, I don't think so. But I think it is a significant moment you know, you are elevating things to the highest political level with this contact, Ursula von der Leyen, the president of the commission, and Boris Johnson. So, you know, obviously, Michel Barnier and David Frost have been in the room and negotiating formally and informally for months and months and months. We had a high-level meeting between von der Leyen and Johnson and the other leaders of the EU institutions back in June. That was by video link. So again, this is another significant moment. So the choreography here is important. The UK tabled I think five papers last weekend. These are these were so-called non-papers. So they're I was just going to ask you that. Were they pa- the papers are papers are non-papers. <laughs> These papers were non-papers. Uh, you, now you see them. Now you don't. They were significant, but in the sense that they people were looking for signals, hints, whatever in there that might suggest the UK is going to move on the state aid issue, on fisheries, on the level playing field police and judicial cooperation, all of those hot-button issues. Again, not a huge amount was detected by officials. They had fleshed out some ideas that they had before. One interesting element of one of these papers on state aid was that um, the UK had acknowledged that there would be shared principles on how you approach state aid, EU side and the UK side. Now, People were saying, well, actually, this sounds is encouragingly woolly. Yeah, but I mean, th- this is the way that negotiations inch forward. Uh, I mean, it's not like the UK was going to suddenly drop a gift wrap, gift wrapped uh, concession on the table and say, there you go, uh, you're a move. So this is all at the level of signal- signaling. And it looks like they were trying to signal that, yeah, OK. I mean, before David Frost was effectively saying, state aid, it's none of your business, we'll do what we want in the UK, we haven't brought out our legislation yet, and we want to effectively have the right to subsidise whatever industries we feel the need to subsidise. By saying that there there could be shared principles, I think some people have said, well, that's interesting, that could be a little chink of light, but it's not really operational. And the whole imperative from the EU side is that, yes, you've got to have shared principles about how both sides will regard subsidies and state aid, but you're going to need to have a, a robust, independent authority in the UK that this will challenge the UK government to, to stop any you know, inappropriate state aid. That operates in the same way that the European Commission operates at EU level. And you'd, you'd need to have a good bit of com- communication between the EU, the European Commission and this new independent body in the UK. And you would then need to have, again, robust dispute settlement mechanisms, arbitration and so on. And and those details don't appear to be there yet. Right. But but given like given the, this this could be sorry, this could be on. something that the um that, that both sides that Ursula von der Leyen and Boris Johnson might be able to inch forward when they talk on the telephone. You would think given 
where we are at with the internal markets bill that trust on the European side to the vague notion of principles would be pretty low at the moment. If you ask people in the Commission or, or the European or member states of the European Council, you know, that they, they, they will say, look, our view is there from the political declaration right at the very beginning. We need a robust set of rules for the level playing field for state aid. And, you know, we, we've maintained that demand, that we maintained that demand from the, from the get-go. Some senior people have said, you know, we're not going to raise the bar necessarily, but I think there certainly is a much stronger determination among member states to make sure that on the level playing field, on state aid, that there will be a robust, legally coherent mechanism that will work uh, for the long term and that will will make sense and will be robust and i think they are really going to dig in and demand that they don't want to be getting into a dispute every six months on the basis of something that hasn't been nailed down in the first place well tony it's it's a busy day at the summit on a wrap of the week and you actually have other duties apart from this podcast sad though it is to say i suppose look it's uh, seen as this week began with yom kippur the day of atonement i have a, a slight apology stroke piece of atonement to make to to our listeners i'm recording my voice using a headphones instead of a microphone so if you are wondering what the difference in the voice quality is uh, that's the reason for that we had to record it a different way today due to hardware and technical difficulties but for me in a bedroom in kildare drinking microwave coffee and speaking into a pair of headphones like it's a microphone that's it for me, Colm O'Mungo, and Deputy Foreign Editor. And that's it for me, Tony Connolly. Jealous of the yeah, follow that. Le- the lo-fi tool credibility you have uh, in Kildare. I'm drinking coffee that was made from a wonderful European espresso machine and uh, using a microphone on my phone, so I'm uh, slightly better placed. But anyway, good to talk to you as always, Colm, and thanks to everybody for listening.